Welcome to the Northern Business Podcast. Each week we talk to people active in business and the economy about the big issues driving growth in the north of England. We're sponsored by Virtue Motors, one of the UK's largest motor retailers. Check out its website at virtuemotors.com. I'm Graham Robb, owner of Recognition PR. We help scores of businesses promote their products and services and some are featured on this podcast. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Today in the studio, we have Helen Anderson, Head of Learning at the Thermal Insulation Contractors Association, the national training provider of thermal insulation. And down the line, we have Steve Butler, Chief Executive of Punter Southall Aspire, a consultancy business that unites employee benefit consultancy, workplace savings and individual financial advice. And later, my colleague Josh Havakin will be talking to Jason Oakes, who is Director at PHS home solutions and 0800 repairs and that's all about some of the innovations that are coming into heating homes in the UK as the government makes its mind up about how boilers and all sorts of other elements of home uh, energy are dealt with. Right well let's start with both of you. Hello Helen, hello Steve. Steve, well, well first of all let's uh, let's kick off. You, we talked about your consultancy and we'll, we'll drill into what it does uh, in a moment in terms of delivering advice on employee benefits and employee employees generally. But how are you finding the economy? I, I was looking at the latest data, we'll flash up the graph, um, of real GDP growth according to the IMF. The international snapshot shows that the UK has had faster growth than any other European nation or many other European nations since 2010 and at the moment growth in the UK surprisingly is exceeding that of Germany. What, what's your sentiment and what's your experience? Um, I, I find that a bit of a surprise actually. Um, my clients are the HR directors and, their, and the HR team uh, and most of the challenge that they've faced over the last year is, is the cost of living crisis and how that's impacting their employees how their employees are kind of managing, you know, to to keep themselves focused at work with the kind of financial distractions that they're experiencing, which, you know, ultimately come off the back of Brexit and and uh, COVID, etc. Um, and and businesses have, you know, have really struggled to grow through those periods. So I'm surprised that uh, the GDP numbers look look that good from the IMF. I my own client base, which is a basket of different clients. A large proportion of their biggest problem is recruiting because they have pipelines of work. So that their issue is they could grow if they could recruit, and albeit they are trying to deal with the challenge of wages and so on, there does seem to be a pipeline of work. And maybe that's a regional thing. Many of them are based in the north of England, uh, and maybe a sector thing. Uh, yeah, that that could well be the case. Clearly, kind of recruit, yeah, recruitment and retention is is on the agenda of of every HR director, and it's it's an ongoing conversation that that we have. So, um, you know, obviously, recruitment goes goes in spikes, and we've had quite a hot market over the last year or so. So, I, I can see how that would impact, uh, you know, growth potential. Now, I first came across you by reading this article in the Sunday Times business section. And it, it was headlined, Battle Lines Drawn as Five Generations Clash in the Office. And really, this <laughs> does go to recruitment and retention because it's about a peaceful, harmonious team working together. And, and I know you've written a book about this, um, which, uh, what's the title of the book? Mind the Gap? 
manage manage the gap. Manage the gap. Manage the gap. So it's it's about um, the experiences I've had in my organisation of a multi generational workforce and conflict that's that's arisen and and how I've gone about kind of managing that conflict. You know, clearly this is a this is a live topic for for every business at the moment. Um, and it's a skill that that managers managers have to learn. So it's something that we need to talk about, share best practice, etc. So that's what I was a, attempting to do with the book. Now the book is very interesting, and and the the Sunday Times recommends it as well. And I know you've written other books, which you feel free to mention. But let's talk about the experience that led you to write the book in the first place. Yeah, I think so. My business is 150 people. Um, uh, and we we span all ages from kind of 18 to 72 i think my eldest employee is and over recent years i I saw more conflict arising in the workplace as um you know as the millennial generation and generation z entered the workplace um, with different expectations about what they're expecting when they when they arrived and and that kind of led led to conflict and and i've had to go about managing those issues okay we'll talk about how you manage them in a moment but let's dissect the actual generations Uh, we'll flash a slide up to remind people what the generations are and we can talk through some of the analysis that maybe you'd give of what what you feel might be the expectations or the attitude of that generation in the workplace let's go to the oldest generation first people that were born between 1928 and 1945 now not that many of them in the workplace now but they're they're called the silent generation what's the attitude silent silent generation and and the baby boomer generation often often groups together you know very compliant they've grown up in a world where they work nine to five they wore suits to work um, they worked in organizations with hierarchy and they respected their bosses and uh, and didn't challenge um and and that's that's what they've grown up with and that's kind of how they expect work to be so certainly when they they um, experience people wanting to wear you know not suits to work or, or not work nine to five or not be in the office all the time they're, they're kind of surprised at that reaction because because they think that's the way it should be I get that. I am of that generation because my I was born in 1964. I know I, I don't look that old. I know. Uh, but 1964, that makes me the very tail end of the boomer generation. I still do wear a suit to work. Uh, you should hear the soundtrack in my car, by the way. My daughters pick on me. It's boomer music, folks. It's boomer music. Um, but... Um, This element of compliance, the other element is that there's an element of uh, not clock watching, careers and so on being very important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I I have to say, before we kind of get into too much detail about the different generations, referring to people by Generation Z or or Baby Boomer over recent years has caused uh, a lot of conflict by virtue of the titles themselves because people are stereotyped for yeah. being a certain way. And, and clearly we are all very different and and you can't just group people by when they were born. So one of the one of the things that I propose in my book is it's experiences that shape the way that people behave. And the biggest fundamental uh, experience that has divided the generations has been those that have uh, grown up with the internet and all that that's brought with it and, and those that haven't. And, and I think that's that for me, that's the big that's the big divide. So rather than talking about Boomer and X and, and, and Y and Z, et cetera, I, throughout the book, I talk about a younger cohort and, and an older cohort that are divided by this experience of the of the Internet. 
And I think, you know, just to, just to build on that further, if you, if you grew up your whole life with the internet, with social media, with uh, iPhones, etc., the way that you communicate is very different from someone that that hasn't. You know, to to the very simple point that if you if you grew up without it, you were taught that when you spoke to someone, you had to look at them and give them eye contact. Um, if you if you grown up with all this technology around you, you're you're very used to multitasking and texting someone at the same time you're talking to someone uh, and some of those things that an older generation might treat as respect or expect as respect are, are not expected from that younger generation and that and that's potentially where you know some of the some of the conflict issues arise so uh, that's a very interesting point and uh, something i've experienced this week in my own office actually steve because we have a, a long a, a, it's only a small office of 12 15 people at the moment there are 12 people because of holidays and there's a young man who's come in who's 17 years old born when tony blair was prime minister and one of his jobs is to answer the phone and he will we've trained him in how to answer the phone but it's something that he, he was not comfortable with because uh, he said to me, and I, this was a revelation to me, this is about me learning, not him. When he normally answers the phone, it's on his mobile, and his mobile tells him who's ringing. But then to ask him to answer the phone in a busy office, where he doesn't know who's ringing, and to affect a smile, and that, that is actually something I didn't realise I had to not expect, but teach. Yeah, exactly that. I mean, I have a whole cohort of people that, you know, that, that treats sales in an, usually every other tool apart from the telephone. But I grew up in a world where sales you did on the telephone by phoning someone yeah. up and, yeah. and telling them about your services. Um, so it's it's changed the way we work quite quite dramatically. Do you think there's any change in your experience of people who've come into the workplace very recently post pandemic? Um, yeah, I mean, again, this this is another one of the challenges that you know one of the problems of the post of the pandemic or benefits of the pandemic is we've moved to a hybrid working world um, which is great for someone like me who's had a whole career of being in the office and collaborating with colleagues etc and someone new joining the workplace who only comes in once a week or, or twice a week is is missing out on that collaboration and, and kind of learning experience mm. so um you know often they don't have the confidence to to ask or or to you know you know want want to you know, ask how they do things, etc. So that that led to perhaps uh, you know lower productivity when they join the business because they're spending more time learning because they're not in the office straight away, which again creates a, a view on how well someone's doing or not in the business, which is which is not their own fault. And you also, know, the, sat at home not knowing what to do. And also, not everyone you need to ask is in the office. Hmm. Exactly. And, yeah, and yeah. Uh, I mean, we have a, a full office in our business. Oprah, uh, uh, we, we work from the office and. Our young guy who's uh, an intern, by the way, a paid intern. I never, ever don't give interns no wage. They always have a wage at my firm. Um, and the, the way in which you, someone should treat an intern is to, 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 to treat it as a learning experience, isn't it? Mm. Um, the millennial generation is the one that people of my age and maybe of yours have traditionally... Uh, had a bit of fun with the snowflake labels and so on, but is there a way of understanding that that cohort of people and how they are reacting both in technology terms and unlike my generation, they are coming into a time that buying a house is more difficult, 
that they may have large student debts, which I wasn't saddled with when I started in the workplace. Perhaps an understanding of that is important as well. Yeah, and in fact, this this is the largest generation in the workplace now, and they're now of an age in their thirties that they're in kind of management roles. So they're they're the really dominant force in the work in the workplace now, and their view of the world is is important. And I think for me, one of the observations that that I made is my older cohort of people um, kept their personal life and their business life very separate. You know, they if they had friends at work, they'd tell them about their personal life, but they they wouldn't broadcast their personal life in the in the office. Um, they kept the two very separate. Now, the younger cohort, the millennials and 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 uh, Gen Zs, grown up with technology, grown up with social media, Instagram, they're constantly sharing, and they they see the world very integrated between their personal life and their and their business life. So it's perfectly reasonable for them to say, well, I'm dropping out the office for a couple of hours to go and see a friend because I'll make up the hours in the, in the evening. And and they will make up the hours in the evening. But for someone that's always at work nine to five and has never blended their work and their personal life together, they find that they find that challenging. Um, and again, another another area where conflict arises. Having said all of that, you know, why, why shouldn't we all have the flexibility to kind of drop in and out of work as required, stop work to go and pick the children up from school and make up the hours later? You know, as organisations, we should really be focused on productivity, not not hours kept, which was perhaps the, the historical way of, of kind of measuring productivity. So there's lots of positive stuff that comes out of this new generation entering the workplace in the way that they work, but but we all have to understand it and understand what, what the benefits of, of each way of working is. And lastly, I just want to ask you about a prevalence in business that I, I think probably is driven by generational and attitudinal thinking, uh, and that is towards ethics, ESG and so on. Um, there's a big row that's happened this week. Uh, we're, we're recording and presenting this on the day that the chief executive of NatWest has resigned. And she has resigned ostensibly over a very narrow point of client confidentiality. But that narrow point of client confidentiality was born of an, EH, an ESG attitude to compliance, where a group of compliance officers had compiled data on a client of, of a bank, namely Nigel Farage. And there was a, an attitude and uh, approach to ethics that on one, one side of the coin, you could argue, demonstrated overreach and intolerance and on another side of the coin demonstrated a willingness to assert a certain set of ethical values into an organization's bloodstream. How does that mix up with the way in which we have a mixed workforce now? Yeah, it's really interesting because my, my younger cohort joined the workplace and they want the business to have a set of values that align to their own and often, you know, we'll recruit people and and what the business thinks and what the individual thinks aren't aligned and that individual won't stay very long. It, it's really important to this gen, this younger generation, whereas I think my my older cohort of employees have a different approach. You know, they, they, they're coming to work to earn a wage and, and if the values aren't mm. quite aligned, it's not such a problem. So I think as organizations, as workplaces, we need to think really carefully about what our values are and embed them into the organization. I think in the example that you're talking about, 
you know, um, you know, the whole foundation of banking is based on trust. So if if the person at the top cannot be trusted to keep things confidential, then the whole fabric of the bank doesn't doesn't work. So regardless of the values of the bank, I believe, you know, ultimately she kind of breached a level of trust that someone in her position should have known better. Mm, absolutely. I, I, I completely agree to that with that assessment. It's been fascinating talking to you. Do stay on the line, Steve. I, I should point out sure. to our viewers that although you are personally based in London, your consultancy has an office in York. So you're not we're the Northern Business Podcast <laughs> and what you're doing also applies to Northern businesses. Uh, absolutely. We even go as far as Scotland. We're a, we're a kind of national business with people all over. Excellent. Mm. Excellent. Uh, right. So that's Steve Butler and joining me is Helen Anderson. Helen, what did you make of what he said in your role at, at, at the Thermal Insulation Contractors Association? Yeah, really interesting. I think particularly what resonated with me um, was your, your comment about um, the kind of this this hybrid working from home, working from the office. And I think something I've noticed through my own experience is um, although there's kind of positives, negatives to both, I think where the, the, the completely remote working really impacts is with those new starts mm. and it's not even about as you know even if they don't need to ask direct questions I think there's so much you pick up from the office environment through osmosis mm. from from hearing other people's conversations mm. from just understanding kind of the context of a business and, and you just you really don't get a lot of that from home yeah. so I think there is a place for both but but for new starters uh, you know we, we work a four-day week from the office and, and a day from home and that's most of us and that's a really good kind of mix for us of course working from home doesn't apply to a number of your uh, trainees Tell us it the job not, you no. have at, at yeah. Tika and what, what kind of market you're in. Yeah, so I, I was brought in, Tika wear a lot of hats, but the, the hat that most impacts on, on my job role is our role as um, a, the, the training provider. So we're the, the, the training provider or the college, if you like, um, that deliver all a, a, apprenticeship training for level two and level three apprentices. And when we talk about thermal insulation, we're not talking about kind of domestic dwellings. We're talking about uh, engineering sites. We're talking about um, uh, commercial sites, think schools colleges, uh, hospitals, uh, power stations, all of those buildings will have pipe work. So we're training those apprentices. Um, so those, yeah, apprentices come to us um, to, to learn their kind of practical skills and then they go back to site and they, they hone those skills. So none of that can be done uh, from home. All of it's done very much face to face. And it's interesting talking about this growth in the economy because what I can say about the thermal insulation industry at the moment, um, although it not might not be kind of mirrored in the rest of construction, thermal insulation really is booming. Uh, you know, we've taken more apprentices this year than we've taken in the last three years. Obviously, some of that will be an impact of COVID. Um, but yeah, we, we've seen a real kind of um, increase in the number of apprentices we're taking on. And we think about the kind of people that uh, use materials that need to be insulated, pipes and pro uh, processes that need this kind of high level mm. insulation. They'll need it for safety, Yep. They'll need it for environmental reasons Absolutely. and they will need it because there is a general renewal of this kind of infrastructure, isn't there, as um, petrochemical gives way to um, uh, hydrogen power, st uh, hydrogen production yeah. um, and particularly in the north of England where we have large process industries, there is a, at the moment an ongoing renewal of those industries. Absolutely, we, we were at a visit yesterday at Teesworks um, talking about all the projects they've got going on there and obviously there's loads in terms of, of I have to give a full disclosure, I'm on the board of Teesworks ah, but I didn't know that go. when you said yeah. that. Yeah, so yeah, really interesting what they're trying to achieve there and all the jobs that's going to 
going to bring to the local industry and I think what we're trying to work out at the moment is how we fit into that but you're right um, a lot of it is about not just kind of new new builds for thermal insulation it's a lot about kind of retrofit and, mm. and how we deal with um, sort of embodied carbon in, in a lot of existing buildings and how we make them work as energy efficiently as they possibly can. We had the government looking at the net zero agenda from memory what was said this week is the Prime Minister said he was definitely committed to net zero and the legal uh, definition and objective of it but Michael Gove um, on domestic settings is trying to stop people having to automatically retrofit boilers in uh, 12 years time and, and maybe alleviate some of the costs on domestic landlords. Does that impact on you in any way? Only in the sense that, I mean, individual domestic dwellings is something that would be kind of covered by, um, by, by a plumber on a much more kind of local domestic scale. But I think there's been kind of quite a few issues with um, a, a lot of things around uh, heating in homes, um, the alternatives to gas boilers. There's a lot of kind of um, challenges to iron out there. Um, on the more kind of commercial industrial setting, you know, we deal with apprentices that might be going on to um, sites where heat networks are created for things like flats. And it's, it's really kind of crucial there um, that, that everything's working properly and we're training um, people with the skills to kind of um, insulate those pipes to get them working efficiently and, and, and provide the um, energy that's needed. And finally, you've got a project, I think it's based in the East Midlands, but you're putting a definitive effort into recruitment of female trainees. Tell us about that and, yeah. and whether you're having any success. Yeah, that's right. So it's it's been a bit of a leap of faith and, and I think it comes really from, from the fact that um, what our members and our employers are telling us is that there is a skill shortage. It's, it's really obvious. Um, something something that we've done quite a lot of um, analysis on is how many of, of our workforce are leaving the industry over the next 15 years. Um, so we've got, um, as with construction more generally, we've got an ageing population. Um, so over the next 10 to 15 years, 30% of the thermal insulation industry will retire. So that's huge. So we've got to fill that gap. Um, we don't think we can always fill that gap uh, with males. Um, if you think of things about like how many people every year are going to university, how many people end up joining things like the NHS, y your pool of people gets smaller and smaller. And we haven't really ever kind of promoted it uh, with, with women specifically. And if you look at society and you look at policies and, and legal systems, everything's in place now that, that in theory, uh, women have as much access to construction. But where are they? Because that, none of them are on site. Well, let's talk to our <laughs> resident expert today. Yeah. I'm sorry, Steve, I'm going to place you on the spot now. You've looked at different generations uh, in the workplace. Um, what about different generations and different genders attitude to different types of employment? Does everyone want to be in PR or to be in movies or the media or is the attraction of hands-on blue-collar jobs likely to come back into fashion, particularly as they're very well paid? Extremely well paid, yeah. <laughs> Wow, what a question. I don't know whether I can answer that, but, mm. but I do think, you know, we, we often talk about kind of ageism and, and, and how older individuals are treated. But, you know, there's, there's a concept now of, of gendered ageism um, in, in that how women are treated because they're of their age. And, and I think what we see is that women, women are consistently treated different throughout their career, you know, regardless of their age, you know, they're, 
they're treat as a younger individual they, they haven't got enough experience as a as a as a mid-career individual you know they're they're not not quite right for whatever reason because they're taking career breaks or or kind of menopause or whatever and and then later in later in career they're experiencing the same age, ageism that, that that men are so it's clearly really challenging for for kind yeah. of women in the workplace in the society that we that we live in so yeah. i think initiatives like this are really important because they kind of break down those gender stereotypes and, and ultimately that's what will remove the 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 the, the, the poor treatment that we see in the workplace. Definitely, and I, I think a key thing for us has been, um, you know, like I said, in, in theory, that the playing field has been levelled. However, for us, it's about going above and beyond now. So what opportunities can we create for women that make it even more accessible that, than, it, than it might be for, for their counterparts? Um, and that's what the Nottingham Pilot's about. And we, we started with Nottingham purely because we've got a couple of um, employers there that were really interested in taking this on. But, you know, n next step is, is the rest of the world and the rest of the UK. So it, it will be coming to the north as, as well um, if it's successful. Um, and we're really kind of um, hoping it will be. We'd, we'd, there's a lot going on to kind of um, ensure that we're getting some candidates interested in it. Well, look, Helen, Steve, you're both first-time guests on the Northern Business Podcast. It's been a fascinating discussion. I hope you both come back in the next season. Thank you very Absolutely. much indeed. Thank you. Thank you. And now let's talk to my colleague, uh, Josh Havakin. Let's see who he's speaking to today. Thanks, Graham. This week, Michael Gove, the Secretary of State for Leveling Up Housing and Communities, has been talking about potentially slowing the phase out of natural gas boilers. This is to provide more time for investment in infrastructure and also for a better, more cost effective transition to net zero. Um, today, I'm joined by Jason Oakes, Sales Director at PHS Home Solutions and 0800 Repair. It's one of the UK's leading suppliers and installers of heat pumps, insulation, and boilers. So there really couldn't be a better person on the podcast to talk to us about this today. Jason, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you. Brilliant. So what have you thought of what Mr. Gore's been saying? What parts have really spoken to you? Yeah, it's really interesting comments over the weekend. Um, I'll just start by my experience of 15 years within the renewable sector, designing and installing the renewable technologies and heat pumps. But, you know, we're fully, very fully supportive of the um, the government's carbon agenda um, and, you know, that, that's what we've been doing for a long, long time. But it's interesting that in sometimes, you, you know, you, you've got to appreciate um, where the country is at the minute and um, obviously the financial side of things. So you know, this fuel deprivation and the, the cost of the renewable technologies um, to, to upgrade on, on properties at the minute is, is quite costly and quite expensive. So, you know, looking back to, to what Michael um, said um, over the weekend, there's a lot of things that need to be implemented and it could be the angle he could be looking at is because of the fabric of the buildings needs to be improved. That's and insulation for our listeners, isn't it? Yeah, In absolutely. Terms, so, yeah. yeah, insulate that box as much as possible. Therefore, the heating solution is reduced in the demand. So it's a, it's a cost-effective measure on that side. Okay, so what he's been saying is that, um, or one of the things he's been saying is that getting the EPC level to see for landlords is, is too too costly at the moment and trying to get those gas boilers um, out and replaced with green technologies, the cost is too onerous on the property owner at the moment. Do you think that's quite right? Yeah, you know, with, with what's going on with the interest rates and um, the cost of living side of things, um, some of the rental, rent, um, obviously the people, the tenants they could be struggling. 
therefore could affect the, the, the landlords effectively. But you know, we've got an obligation to meet um, EBC um, Band C by 2028. Is it? You know, is that yeah, the right currently. time to do yep. it? Yeah, is, we, we could be, you know, there's a very a great shortage of engineers, um, skilled labour on, you know, insulation measures and um, heat pump renewable installers, PV installers. And so it's 600 heat pumps um, per year. That, that, you know, that's what the government's um, devoted to. Um, what we're going to do that, you know, we're trying our hardest, but... The, the you know the the reality is that, that, that we haven't got the the correct um, labour force and training in place at the minute um, to hit them targets. So you might be coming from that angle where um, we actually it, the skill factor is not there to deliver it at the minute. So from your perspective, it it's partially financially and also um, a labour issue that there's not the skills, qualifications, and experience out there to to hit that target by stretching it out and increasing the time of the phase out. It gives you a bit more time to get the right infrastructure and skills in place. Yeah, absolutely. We've been fortunate. We implemented our training um, facilities for all of our engineers, um, dual skill effectively across the board that can, you know, transition from gas installers to to renewable installers, um, quite quite easily. Um, but yeah, there's a, there's a huge cost behind that as well, and it's cost us a lot of money. But we've invested in it, and, and now you know we we install huge amounts of renewables and and um, insulation measures and fabric side of things for you. external wall, internal wall, roof insulation, um, underfloor heating side of things, and that's our primary focus to make that um, that building as as insulated as possible. Um, so the 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 homeowner tenant effectively so the bills are reduced. Um, you know it doesn't have to focus on the the heat heat side of it, heat generation. But once you you get the the tariff correct for the heat pump by having PV panels and batteries, or um, being smart on your your your, your, your you know your, your tariff ratings, then you have you've got a fantastic system within the building. Well, thank you very much for your time, Jason. We're going to go back to Graham now in the studio. Thanks, Joss. Now, if you'd like to join us as a guest on the Northern Business Podcast, I'll be tagging in my colleagues on LinkedIn, so feel free to get in touch. We'd love to hear from you via LinkedIn, uh, me, Graham Robb, and it's at Graham Robb on LinkedIn. Uh, now we're going to take a break for the summer. Do join us on a return, which is the 13th of September, and we'll be joined by the economist Julian Jessup and the co-founder of PowerSheds, Jack Sutcliffe. Never miss an episode, like, rate and subscribe to us on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts.